You know, on this Resurrection Sunday, we celebrate the resurrected Christ. And all throughout the world, on this Sunday morning, the body of Christ, the Christian church, is celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. They're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus in China. They're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus in India and in Africa and South America and Canada and Mexico. They're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus on this very Sunday because Jesus is the only person who no longer resides in a grave. Muhammad lies in a tomb. Buddha lies in a tomb. But Jesus is alive. This morning we will look at Christ and His defeating the curse. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open up to the book of Galatians, chapter 3. The book of Galatians, chapter 3. We're going to read verses 10 through 13. Galatians chapter 3. Verses 10 through 13. For as many as are of, of the, for as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, "Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them." Now that no one is justified by the law before God, it is evident, for the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. For Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. Let's pray. God as we look at the curse that plagues mankind, as we look at the curse that we all know too well, may You speak to our hearts. May You reveal truth to us that You have indeed redeemed us from the curse by becoming the curse for us. God, we pray this morning that Your Gospel message would be clearly articulated to our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I pray that whenever you leave here this morning, that you will experience freedom from the curse. And, and we're sitting here and we're thinking, okay, preacher, it's, it, it's Easter Sunday morning and you're, you're, you're talking to us about a curse. That, that sounds very, very superstitious. It sounds very, uh, 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 very ancient, very otherworldly, but we must understand, we must understand that this curse that we speak of on Sunday morning, on Easter Sunday morning, that this curse is something that that goes back to the very beginning of time. And so I'm going to take us back to the book of Genesis, and we're going to examine the curse that we are all that we are all under, we're going to examine the curse of sin and we're going to look at how Christ has redeemed us from the curse by defeating death and the grave. So if you will, go with me to the book of Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, we're going to read verses 14 
through 19. And I'm, I'm going to give you just a little bit of background as we dive into, as we dive into the curse, as we dive into Genesis and the creation account. So we understand that, that God created. Now, whether you are an old earth creation or a young earth creation, or whether you are a seven day literal creation or whether you are a, 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 a dispensationalist, the, the truth of the matter is God created. Doesn't matter for, for our purposes here this morning. Does not matter whether it was young earth, whether it was old earth, whether it was uh, seven literal days or whether it was seven time periods. The fact of the matter is, is that God created. The world was empty and formless and void and God spoke and the world was. And so we understand that God created and as God created, he created the world perfect. He created the world without sin. He created the world in a, in a state of euphoria. There was no, there was no sickness. There was no disease. There was no death. There was no selfishness. And the scripture says that Adam and Eve were naked and they were not ashamed. There was no sin. There was no, no evil, no wickedness. It did not exist. And then we get to Genesis chapter 3. And in Genesis chapter 3, we see the entrance, we see the introduction of Satan. And Satan slithers into the garden, crawls into the garden, and he begins to chirp into Eve's ear and he says, God has lied to you. God has given you two trees, the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And he's told you that if you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you, you will surely die. But, but God has only told you that because he doesn't want you to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because as soon as you eat from the, tr- knowledge of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you'll be just like God. And there was an element of truth there. They would become like God in that they would know both good and evil. Up until this point, because there was no sin in the world, they only knew good. They only knew righteousness. They only knew the blessings of God, the goodness of God. They did not know sin. They did not know judgment. They did not know wrath. And so Eve, being deceived by the perversion of the truth, takes and partakes of the fruit and gives to her husband. Her husband partakes. And then all of a sudden, God shows up. Scripture tells us, walking in the cool of the evening, and he asks Adam and Eve, he says, where are you guys? And they were hiding because they knew that they were naked. They knew that they were ashamed at what they had done. And this is where we pick up the account, verse 14. The Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed Are you more than all cattle and more than every other beast of the field? And on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. And the woman said, and to the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth, and in pain you shall bring forth children. Yet your desire shall be for your husband. And he shall rule over you. And then Adam said to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife, have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you saying, you shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. And in toil, you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles, it shall grow for you. And you shall eat of the plants of the field. And by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread. Until you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for your dust 
and to dust you shall return. So I want to examine for just a few moments a couple elements from this curse. First of all, from this curse, we see selfishness and pride and and seeking what is our own. All of a sudden, up until this point, Adam and Eve were not, they were not seeking their own. They were not seeking to, to, to grant their seeking their own interests, but they were about the interests of God. They were about the interests of each other. But for this very purpose, at this very time, because of the curse, they began to be selfish and prideful. Look at the text. Look at verse, Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. He says to Eve, he says, your desire shall be for your husband yet he will rule over you. Part of the curse was that Eve would seek to have the role that God had designed for the husband. God had created man and woman completely equal in dignity and in value. Yet he had given them very distinct roles and very distinctly different different functions in the, the unity of marriage. And Eve's role was not to be the head, not to be the leader, not to be the one to whom all of the responsibility falls upon. But the scripture tells us that because of the curse of sin, your selfishness and your pride will seek to exalt yourself above your husband. This is is the essence of pride. This is the essence of selfishness. That husbands, that because of the curse Our desire will be for ourselves, that we will seek our own desire. We'll seek to put our needs and our wants before our wives and before our families. That the nature of the curse is that we want what we want, when we want it, how we want it. That's the nature of the curse. It's a very elementary element of the curse of sin. Pride, selfishness. How many of us no, the, 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 the curse of sin is selfishness and pride that I want what I want. And, and in order for me to even be a, a, a functional member of society, I have to constantly fight that selfishness, that pride. That we have to constantly fight the, even, even in our everyday interactions with people, we must constantly fight the selfishness and pride to, to put our wants and our needs before others. That's what we naturally do. We also see that the curse brings forth a fallen state of all of the world. That now as Adam cultivates the ground, out of the ground will not just grow vegetables and trees that bring forth fruit, but it will grow thorns and thistles. That it will grow that which is undesirable. I don't know how biblical this is, but I think the curse of sin is a mosquito. (laughs) That which is undesirable, the curse of sin is crabgrass. You walk across your lawn and barefoot and what happens? You get stickers all on the bottom of your feet. Thorns and thistles will come up out of the ground. The dandelions, all of the, you know, the, the, the first thing that pops up in spring is not, is not the, the, the beautiful flowers. It's the weeds, right? And so for the first, for the first month of spring, you're not cutting your grass, you're cutting your weeds. 
That is a result of the fallen state. That's a result of sin. And, and we laugh, but that is undesirable. It produces nothing that is fruitful, nothing that is desirable. And that is a result of sin. Not only that, but we see pain and suffering. God had designed a woman's body to be the way that it was so that, so that man could reproduce and so they could procreate and fill the earth. But he also said, because you have sinned, that that, that process will, bring, will, will, will still take place, but in it and through it, it will be done in pain and in difficulty and in hardships, teaching us and explaining to us that pain and sickness and disease and everything that is undesirable is a result of the curse. And so when we see cancer, when we see heart failure, when we see diabetes, and when we see illness, and when we see sickness, and when we see pain, that's a result of the curse of sin. He points out to Adam, he says, In chapter 3, verse 19, he says, By the sweat of your brow, you shall eat bread. In verse 18, he said, Both thorns and, I'm sorry, verse uh, 17, he says, In toil, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. I want to point out something very simply and very, very briefly, that work is not a result of the curse. Husbands, fathers, men, hear this. Work is not a result of the curse. God had already given Adam dominion over the garden and told him to to work the ground, to cultivate it, and from the ground you will bring forth food. Work is not a result of the curse. What is a result of the curse is in toil, that work will be burdensome, that work will be toilsome for you. And so I want us to understand, whenever Paul says in Thessalonians that if a man does not work, he shall not eat, that is not a result of the curse. That is a result of God's blessings that God has given us the ability to work. That God has given us the, the responsibility, the role to earn and provide for our families. So husbands, work. Feed your families. Provide for your families. The result of the curse is that, that that work will be toilsome, that it will be burdensome, that you will come home and you will not want to go to work tomorrow. That's the curse of sin. That you will want, again, it's all tied to selfishness and pride, that you'll want to do what you want to do, not what is best for your family. That you will want to, to satisfy your own desires instead of that which is the best and that which is desirable for your family and for your wife and for your children. But I want us to understand the ultimate curse of death. If you look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 19, as God is concluding this curse, He says, Until you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Up until this point, death did not exist. Up until the fall up until sin entering the world, there was no death. The trees didn't wither and die. The animals did not wither and die. Man did not die and return to the dust of the earth. 
But the ultimate curse, the ultimate consequence of the curse of sin is death. That one day, Adam would die. The truth of God remains. From the moment you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. Now, this takes place in Genesis. And so, in God's grace, He gave the Israelites, He gave His people, His chosen people, a way of escape from the consequences of the curse. Because that's who He is. He is kind and loving and benevolent. And so, for the people of God, for the the chosen people of God, He gives them a an instruction manual. He gives them a paradigm for which they could escape the curse. And so what is that? Well, if we go and we look at the book of Deuteronomy, we see God's outline for an opportunity for His people to escape the curse of sin. And in Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 6, He tells His people what they must do. Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 26, we read this. Is a cursed is he who does not conform to the words of this law by doing them, and all the people shall say amen. So if we don't do, if we don't provide, uh, if, we're, if we're not obedient to the law that God has given us, then we shall be cursed. And so how do we avoid the curse? In Deuteronomy chapter 30, he tells us. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19, he says this, I call heaven and earth, and witnesses against you today that I have sent before you life, that which is a freedom from the curse, and death, which is a curse, and bless the blessings and the curse. So choose life in order that you may live, in order, in order that you may live, you and your descendants. So the solution to the curse was by keeping the law. Simple enough, right? We tell our kids all the time, we say, if you do what I tell you to do, good things will happen, right? It's interesting. I have, a, uh, I have three kids. Daniel's 13, almost 14. Anna's 11. Nicholas is 8, almost 9. And right now, they're both looking at me thinking, what are you about to tell? They, 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 they absolutely loathe when I tell stories about them. But this morning, as I was preparing... Uh, uh, as I was praying about and, and preparing for the message, it, I was reminded of whenever Daniel was a baby. And the curse of sin is passed down, and, and, and we're going to look at this through, uh, through some other texts, but the curse of sin is passed down from us through, through genetics. We don't have a choice. And so... God says, well, there's a way that you, can, that you can avoid the curse of sin, and that's by doing what's right all the time. As long as you keep the law, as long as you, you do what I tell you to do, then nothing bad will ever happen to you. And I remember whenever Daniel was about six months old, he was just starting to crawl. And, and parents of little children, you remember those days, that when your kids are just starting to crawl, you immediately go into panic mode because all of a sudden they're mobile. And, and before, you, you, could, you could lay them in the middle of the floor, and you knew that, that, that they were safe, that nothing was going to hurt them. Well, all of a sudden, now that they're mobile, they can get into all kinds of stuff. Well, we had, uh, we had in our house a, a ficus tree, one of those fake trees in the corner, and, and we knew that, that 
It's only a matter of time before he crawls over and he knocks that thing over on him and he gets hurt. And so, so he, would, he would crawl toward the ficus tree and we'd look at him and we'd say no. And we'd pull him back to the middle of the room. And he would look at us and he'd look at that ficus tree and he'd look at us and he'd take off. And we'd go over there and we'd, we'd pull him aside. We'd say, no, no, don't go. You're going to hurt yourself. He'd look at us. He'd look at that ficus tree. Well, we had, we had walked out of the room. <laughs> this was his chance. Mom, you know, out of sight, out of mind, right? There's nobody here to tell me no. And, 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 and don't, don't think that your kids don't know what you're telling them. At six, at six months old, he knew what no meant. Because every time he would go, he'd look at us. So, so, so he, we're out of the room, we're in the kitchen, and all of a sudden we hear this huge crash. And we come walking in, and here's Daniel sitting in the middle of that ficus tree with this, with this innocent grin on his face like, I didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> All he had to do was listen to his parents, right? All he had to do was obey the law that was given to him. Why do we tell our kids, don't go outside without shoes on? Is it because we're mean and hateful parents? No, because we know they're going to stub their toe. We know they're going to to step on something. We know it's going to be painful for them. So we give them rules. Parents, why is it children? Why is it that your parents don't want you to have have social media whenever you're 10, 11, 12 years old? Is it because they're horrible, wicked, evil people? No, it's because they want to protect you. The law is for our protection, teenagers. Whenever your parents tell you, no, it's not because they're mean and evil and hateful people. It's because they love you and they want to protect you. In fact, Ephesians chapter 6 tells us this. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Why? Look at verse 2 and 3. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. What is that promise? So that you will be well and that you will live long on this earth. So, Children, if you want to be prosperous and you want to, to be, be well and you want to live long on this earth, do what your parents tell you to do. God has given us authority, and it's not just our parents. God has given us authority on this earth to protect us. God has given us authority on this earth for our good. In fact, His law is for our good. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 1, it says, He who loves discipline will be righteous, but he who hates Discipline is stupid. It's from the scriptures. It's not me. He who loves discipline will find life, but he who hates discipline is stupid. We have a choice. Will we obey God's law or will we not? It's easy. I'm going to obey God's law. The problem is at six months old, my son, he didn't have a choice. Well, you say, sure he did. He could have chosen not to go crawl over to that ficus tree. And you're right, but he didn't have a choice. Because the scripture tells us that we are by nature children of wrath. Ephesians chapter 2. Go with me if you will. Daniel absolutely had a choice not to go crawl and get into that ficus tree. I absolutely had a choice whenever I was whenever I was 10 years old not to climb up in the tree and tie my friend's 
tire swing up in the tree and I wouldn't have fallen out of that tree and I wouldn't have been knocked unconscious. I had a choice. But I was a liar. I was a thief. I was an adulterer. I was, I was a sinner. We all have the choice not to do what is wrong, but because of our nature, we do what is wrong. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you formerly walked according to the courses of this world. Now, Paul is, is, is giving a, a treatise. He's giving a, a explanation of who we were before we came to know Christ. Before we came to know Christ, we were dead in our trespasses and sin, in which we formerly walked according to the courses of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of our flesh and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath. I want to point out something to us, church. We by very nature, by the nature of who we are and how we were created and how we are born into this world, we are going to make the wrong choice. Follow this illustration with me for just a few moments. If I take a rabbit, Easter Sunday, if the Easter bunny is in here, and I've got a nice, juicy ribeye. And then I've got a a bowl full of lettuce and cucumbers and carrots and all the things that rabbits like to eat. And I give that rabbit a choice. And I say, okay, rabbit, you can have the choice of the ribeye or you can have the vegetables. What's the rabbit going to choose? The vegetables. Why? Because by nature, a rabbit is an herbivore. It's how he's created. It's who he is. It's what he does. He eats vegetables. Now, if I take that same choice and I give it to a tiger, Mike the Seventh is in the back. Now, we've, 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 we've taken the rabbit and we've put it back in his cage, so Mike no longer is after the Easter money. <laughs> but, but we give the rabbit its safety and we bring Mike the Seventh in here and we give him the same choice. We have a ribeye, raw, bloody meat, and we have the same bowl of lettuce and cucumbers and carrots. What's that tiger going to choose? The ribeye. But they had a choice. But their nature dictated their choice. And church, I want us to understand, because of the curse of sin, we are by nature children of wrath. And so given that option, whenever we walk out the room and we say no, that six-month-old is going to choose to do what is wrong. It's because it's his nature. That's why you don't have to teach your children to lie. That's why you don't have to teach them to to, to steal. That's why you don't have to teach them to be disobedient. We have to teach them to be obedient because it is contrary to their nature. By nature, they will do what comes natural. But we as parents have to instruct them and we have to teach them and we have to guide them to do what is right. That's the nature of who we are. If you don't like the way Paul said it in Ephesians, look at the way he said it in Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verse 6. He says it like this. He says, While we were helpless... 
because our nature deemed us helpless. While we were helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Look at verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man, Adam, sin entered the world, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all have sinned. You made the choice to sin, and that made you a sinner. But even before you made the choice to sin, you were a sinner by nature. Whenever Daniel crawled over to that ficus tree, he made the conscious decision to do what was wrong. But even before he made that conscious decision to do what was wrong, he was a sinner by nature. The curse is pervasive. It affects us all. But all we have to do is keep the law. God gave us a solution. The problem is is that we could not and we would not keep the law. So what did God do? He couldn't ignore justice. He couldn't ignore righteousness. He could not not compromise His character. He couldn't say, well, that's okay. You don't really have to be good. And I'll just forgive everything that you've done. Because that would compromise the character and the justice of our God. So what did He do? He must address the curse. Therefore, God Himself entered this cursed world. John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. In verse 14, it tells us, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Glory as of the only begotten of the Father. He entered this cursed world. Philippians chapter 2 tells us that God is the... I'm I'm sorry, it tells us... uh, Colossians chapter 1, it tells us that God, that Christ is the image, the invisible image of God Himself. And in Philippians 2, it says that, that, that He took on the form of a man. That God Himself became a man. And He entered this cursed world. And He walked among us. And He knew firsthand the consequences of sin. As Jesus walked on this earth, He experienced the consequences of the curse. He experienced sorrow. He experienced pain. He experienced grief. Believe it or not, when Jesus was a kid, he ran around as a kid and fell and stumbled and skinned his knees. He experienced pain of the curse. Whenever Jesus was walking the earth, the scripture tells us in John chapter 11, verse 35, that Jesus wept when he heard that Lazarus had died. Why? Because Jesus in Isaiah chapter 53 was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. That he knew what it was to live in a world cursed by sin. He healed the sick. He saw the consequences of sin. He saw the consequences of the curse. He saw the man who was born lame. He saw the man who was born blind. He saw the woman who had been hemorrhaging for 12 years. He saw the consequences of this cursed world. And he himself experienced it. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. God Himself entered this world. Let's go back to our original text, and I want us to see something 
in the original text. Galatians chapter 3, verse 10. I'm sorry, verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. How? Having become a curse for us. Christ became a curse. And He suffered the consequences of the curse. This past Friday, we celebrated Good Friday. And as Christ hung upon the cross of Calvary, the Scripture tells us that He endured the wrath of God. That God poured out upon Christ, upon the second person of the Trinity, the wrath and judgment of the curse. And He cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Christ did not only experience the consequences of the curse second and third hand as He watched it, Christ became the curse for us. As the Lord imputed upon Christ the sin of us, the sin of you and the sin of me, Christ became the curse. And as Christ became the curse, the full wrath of God was poured out upon Jesus. And Christ experienced the consequences of sin. He experienced the pain, the suffering, the disease, all of the undesirable Christ experienced. But Christ experienced the ultimate, consequence of the curse which is death and when they took him off the tomb oh, i'm sorry when they took him off of the cross there his lifeless body lay when the roman soldiers pierced his side the blood was separated from the plasma the scripture tells us that out of his side came blood and water What that tells us is that his blood, his heart was no longer pumping. His blood was no longer congealed. That will happen whenever you're alive. But it was, he was dead. The blood and water, it had separated. Christ was dead. These Roman soldiers took him off of the cross. And Joseph of Arimathea beseeched Pilate for his body. And they wrapped him and they they embalmed this man because he was dead. He experienced the full consequence of the curse of sin. And he was laid in a borrowed tomb. But the joy of Easter Sunday is on this very day Just hours ago, on this very day, as the sun was was beginning to rise, Mary and Martha had gone to the tomb to anoint His body. And as they walked in, they saw the tomb was empty. They, 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 They saw that the stone had been rolled away. They peered in and they saw that there was no one there. 
that our God had robbed the grave and they ran back and they told the apostles and Peter and John and they, they, they ran to the tomb and as they got there, John was afraid to walk in because of the report that he had heard and Peter storms in and there they find his burial cloth lying there and an angel saying, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Christ is risen from the grave and he has defeated the consequence of the curse. He has defeated the curse. And our joy in Christ, our joy in the resurrection, is that the curse no longer has any power. And that death no longer has any power. And every one of us, every one of us, every one of us will experience the consequences of the curse. We will bury loved ones. We ourselves will die. But the joy of Easter, church, is that the curse has been destroyed. That death has been destroyed. That the grave has been destroyed. Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. Matthew chapter 28. And when they entered... That's Acts chapter 28, preacher. Matthew chapter 28. Verse 6, I'm sorry. When they walked in to the tomb, they said, He's not here, for He has risen, just as He said, come and see where He was lying. He's not here. Not only... Will there be no more pain, no more suffering? Not only will there be no more selfishness, no more pride, not only will there be no more mosquitoes and no more undesirables, but there will be no more death because Christ has destroyed death. On this Easter Sunday, on this Resurrection Sunday, the message of the Gospel is plain and it is clear that Christ came not just to destroy the consequences of the curse, not just to pay the penalty of our sin, but Christ came to destroy sin and death once and for all. And so while we will experience on this earth the consequences of sin, because we still live in a fallen world, Christ defeated sin, death, and the grave. He defeated the curse. The curse no longer has any power. Because Christ is indeed victorious. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, I thank You that You have defeated the grave. You have defeated sin. You have defeated death. You have defeated the curse because of who You are. God, there are those here this morning who are enduring the consequences of the cursed world. But you have come that we might have life and have it more abundantly. If you're out there this morning and you fear death, you fear the grave because you don't know what's on the other side. 
Jesus died to pay the burden of your sin, to pay the penalty for your sin. And in his resurrection, he defeated the grave. The message of the gospel is simple. Come to Jesus. You might have grace. Maybe you're out there this morning and you've just been beat up by this world. The curse of this world is often too much to bear. May this Sunday morning, on this Easter Sunday, may you revel in the finished work of the cross. May you take joy in the resurrection. God, as we sing of your glory and your resurrection, may you speak to our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name. Will you join me as we worship?